Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is uh, Leadership by North House, the uh, research and practice seventh edition. Um, I'm Wes Davenport. Uh, hopefully at this point, you know, you're accustomed to our podcast format, so you, you're kind of used to this. Uh, this is a little different format. I'm actually having a guest on with this one. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't already listened to chapter 15 uh, from the textbook, that's gender and leadership, go back and listen to that first. Uh, it'll give you some context. Uh, help you better understand and appreciate this podcast, which I think you'll find really interesting, uh, but it'll definitely give you a little more context prior to getting into this. So today uh, for this podcast, I actually have a guest. I'm really excited. So Dr. Erin Gillespie is joining me. She's a faculty member here at UNA. She's actually teaches in the marketing department, assistant professor, and um, she's the advisor for women in business. So I'm going to let uh, Dr. Gillespie just introduce herself, talk a little bit about her background and um, you know her role with women in business. Sure. Thank you, Dr. Davenport. So um, my background, I graduated from Auburn University and I went into advertising because I was sure that that was what I wanted to do. After about a year, I realized that wasn't my path. I was pretty much moving boxes on a computer screen um, for budget. So I then decided to go back and get my MBA. Once I had my MBA, I went into pharmaceutical sales and I worked um, with GlaxoSmithKline for several years um, as a men's health specialist. And then um, after being in sales for a while, I loved it. I truly loved it. But there was a lot of uncertainty with pharmaceutical sales. Um, the environment was very um, tumultuous. And so I decided to get my PhD because I've always been interested in research and I have a um, strong family background with teaching. So I went back, I got my PhD. Um, I then went to a university in North Carolina where I taught for five years before coming here to UNA. And I've been at UNA for three years now. It's, it's interesting uh, for y'all listening. So, you know, I met Dr. Gillespie when she came to UNA, but we actually taught about probably, I don't know, 20 miles apart in North Carolina, yeah. I think. So we weren't that far apart at different universities, but we actually uh, were close by. I even visited your university um, working with the cell center, probably while you were still there. Probably so, probably so. So um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, women in business and so what you've been doing with that organization here on campus. Right, so primarily um, within the marketing department, I teach um, upper level marketing classes, um, a capstone marketing class, so the last class marketing students take before they graduate. And when I was teaching it, um, obviously, most of my students were interviewing during the, that time, um, you know, and trying to, to find employment for after graduation. And I, um, I got to see some of my first students, um, you know, we kept in touch, you know, after they graduated. And I heard stories about um, just some, some things that they wished that they had done. And one of those was negotiation. Um, so I had a student and I taught her my first year here. And once she got into her job, she realized that her coworkers were getting paid much more than her and she, they were male coworkers, but same level of experience. And so, you know, just through talking with her um, and also seeing some other similar things happening, I decided, you know, we really needed an organization in the business school to support our female students and teach them these skills and give them networking opportunities, um, let them see you know, women in leadership and in all of the business disciplines. And so that's kind of where um, women in business guidance start from. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, you know, something that kind of goes hand in hand with networking, I think, and, and this is mentioned too in the text, North House talks about one of the challenges that a lot of women face in the workplace in terms of advancement and leadership is it, it similar to networking, it's the informal mentoring and opportunities like, you know, because are you know, are you being invited into the meeting or are you, you know, getting connected and, and that's, it's not the same, I guess, as networking, but it is this kind of informal network that you have to build. And, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a challenge that, that you've seen in terms of, the, you know, that does exist for particularly for women in the workplace? With finding mentors? Yeah, and just being, being kind of in, in, involved in the informal uh, leadership track, if you want to think about it that way, right? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that, that I could probably go with answering this question. Um, I don't want to go off on too many tangents. But one thing is a lot of the informal networking happens after hours. Right. And so you think about how many women are in caregiving positions, not just with children, but, you know, we've got kind of like the sandwich generation where you're caregiving for your children, but you may also be caregiving for aging parents. And women tend to hold that role more than um, male counterparts. Right. So you think about, you know, after work hours, are they going to, are women going to be able to go as much as as the men are to these after hours events, to, you know, happy hours and, and informal dinners and things like that, or are they going to have to get back to fulfill those caregiving responsibilities? So I see that as being one challenge. Another one is, um, you know, there are fewer women in leadership, obviously. And so for women that are looking to have a, a female mentor to help them navigate these issues that maybe their men um, you know, mentors that were men may not be able to really understand the issues facing women. There are fewer of those available, right? right. Yeah. Women in leadership. And so, I mean, I could probably take it a couple of different ways, but I would just say that um, I think, you know, it's been a really long time since I read Lean In, but I believe she talked about, um, you know, the importance of, of finding a mentor, but she also says that you shouldn't ask someone to be your mentor. You know, I could be mixing it up with a different book, but I feel like she made that point um, because you're asking someone for their time, right? Mm -hmm. You're asking for their valuable um, resources, like their insights without providing anything in return. So Mm -hmm. point, and again, I could be misquoting her, but I believe that one of her points was that, you know, these mentorships should come up more organically which is harder based on those factors we just talked about. Right. Yeah, absolutely. How, how, do you, how do you organically develop those things when there's systems in place that naturally are going to keep that yeah. from happening? And then and also the mentorship needs to go both ways where obviously you're getting advice from the mentor, but um, you know, in your position, you should be able to offer something to the mentor as well. And sometimes I feel like... Um, women don't see what skills they have to offer to someone that has more experience. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You think that's more prominent with women? Yeah. Well, you know, I know Wes, you do it a lot with imposter syndrome. Yeah. And so women, high achieving women particularly are more likely to suffer from imposter syndrome where they feel like um, they're maybe for example, they didn't earn their position Maybe it was more luck, or maybe maybe the people that hired them didn't realize that they really don't have the skill set for it. Right. Um, so even though they really are qualified, they were hired on merit. 
um, high achieving women tend to suffer from this imposter syndrome more. And that also prevents them from seeking out leadership or opportunities. Yeah, and that, that's why I'm glad we've got you on right now, because those are to the type of things that I mean, I think that's a great insight. And I, I never would have put that together. But it totally does make sense that, um, you know, you would probably see a higher incidence of imposter syndrome um, among, among the female population in the workforce. Something that represents that is, I read a statistic recently, and I don't have the numbers exactly right, but you'll get the gist of it. And it said that, um, let's say there's a position open. Um, if men feel that they are 50% qualified, they will apply for the position, but women will not apply for the position unless they feel like they're at least 90% qualified. Right. See how that can prevent. And I think imposter syndrome has a lot to do with that. That makes sense, you know, and it follows with the statistics that, you know, some of the students saw in the textbook where, you know, you'll often hear um, organizations defend the lack of women in leadership roles by saying, you know, there's a lack of talent or, you know, that there's a, there's a, a uh, a lack of pipeline, but the data really doesn't support that, that the reality is in terms of actual qualifications, there, there's more women that are qualified. And, and so it, it would make sense that maybe that's an example of this leaking pipeline where there's plenty of talent, it's just not getting getting to the position. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, and I, you know, I don't know what your textbook says in terms of numbers, but you know, half of the workforce in the United States is now female. Yeah. And when you look at numbers of, of um, students getting their bachelor's and their master's, women are actually starting to um, outweigh men. And I know at UNA, we're at a 60-40 now, 60% female, 40% yep. men. So you really can't use that argument that there's not talent out, out there. You know, so we, we've got the talent. It's can we get into those positions? Sure, sure. You just got to find the find the way through the labyrinth, right? So um, an, another point, you know, you mentioned imposter syndrome. One thing I was thinking when I read this chapter, and so I'd like to get your take on this, but I, you know, when I teach leadership, one of the topics I talk about sometimes is, you know, trait theory is a very popular theory. People love to think that, you know, it's your traits that make you great. And, but, but the reality is we found over time that those don't really predict very well in terms of trying to determine who's going to be a great leader. But prototype theory is pretty predictive and the idea that, you know, we all have a prototype in our mind of what a leader is supposed to be. And mm -hmm. if someone doesn't match that prototype from the start, we tend to discount them and just, you know, kind of never really give them the opportunity. And I feel like that's one of the challenges too, maybe that, that women in leadership face is, you know, one of the prominent prototype um, traits that we, we look for is masculinity. If you poll people, they think of leaders as being masculine. That's a, that's a common cultural thing. And so, you know, it just inherently puts women at a disadvantage because you have this, and, it, and there's no evidence that masculinity is actually predictive of performance in leadership, but it is in terms of what we associate with leadership. And so, I, you know, I was just kind of curious your experience with that in terms of your personal experience or things you've seen in the workplace of, um, for lack of a better word, having to appear more masculine. I mean, having to kind of ad adapt those traits so that you're, you're seen as a leader uh, early on until you have the opportunity to prove yourself, right? So what is masculinity? What, what is associated with that? Would you say like assertiveness? Like what goes in with yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in, in some cases, it's been things like even like assertiveness. And in some things, it's even things like, um, you know, dress and appearance, you know, like, like you're not going to see, um, you know, if a female comes in for an interview in a sundress, they're not going to get the job because they're not seen as serious and masculine. <laughs> they need to have a power suit because a suit is seen as masculine, right? That's the and so I think there's just some of that built into our, our, our cognitive bias that we're looking for certain masculine traits. 
you're right. And it's interesting because if women do display some of those masculine traits, then that's a negative. Like they right. are, there's a lot of backlash for that. So it's just right. because if you have a female that is more assertive, so if they're not assertive enough, they're considered, well, they're just, they just want to be liked, right? And so people right. will run after them. But if they have assertiveness, then people call them a bitch, right? right. And seen that i mean you can say that in politics right which i don't want to go that route sure <laughs> there's plenty there yeah <laughs> and as far as you know like you brought up dress and i don't want to get into that either but it's funny because people talk far um less about how men dress and much more about women so if you see an elected official like if a, a female takes in um, a position of, of power whether it be like a president of a university i've seen this or if maybe even, um, you know, a political role, people are always like, oh, what is she going to wear? You know, and it's it's a big right. issue. Sure. That shouldn't have any influence on how the person performs. So it's just, it's a whole, I can't even, like, it's just this, how can you win, right? Like you, right. you don't, you want, they want you to be masculine, but if you are masculine, that's a bad thing. But if you're not masculine, that's a bad thing. So right. where, uh, where's the happy ground? Absolutely. You know, some of the studies I saw cited talk about too, like when you're, when you have women leading in more traditionally masculine fields, it's even harder, right? So anytime you're in a field, because again, there's this catch 22 of if you're masculine, then, then you're a bitch. And if you're not, then you're not qualified to lead in that industry. So, so it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, no, it's interesting, this, you know, like not to go off on a tangent again, but it, um, it goes back to the way like our children are socialized. Mm -hmm. And so you see a little girl like out on the playground, like giving like directions. People say she's bossy, but if a little boy were doing that, they'd be like, oh, he's going to be a great leader. And right. then you see that difference starting from when, when they're just children. And then that just continues um, into the workforce, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. And it, it, and it's a complex issue. I mean, I think, cause you, as you point out, it's societal as much as it is um, organizational. And so you've got, you know, a lot of different levers that are going on there. Um, one last thing I was going to ask about in terms of specifically women in leadership roles is, um, you know, women as entrepreneurs and owning their own businesses, you know, you see that more and more. I don't know what the latest percentages are, but the last I saw it was almost half, like 40% of small businesses are owned by women now. So that number is growing. Um, what, what do you talk about in terms of, you know, with women in business or with, with females at the university that you work with, um, you know, some people, I guess, see that as one way into leadership, right? So if you can't, if you can't climb the ladder, then start your own, right? So any thoughts you had on women, you know, and as entrepreneurs and anything with that? Um, well, you know, we've, we've brought in some entrepreneurs to speak to our women in business. Um, and what we've seen or what I've seen so far is that a lot of women go into entrepreneurship for the flexibility, right? Because it allows them, I mean, you're not saying that entrepreneurs don't work extremely hard. So I'm not right. saying at all, but they can kind of create their work. They can create their work hours to some extent, depending on you know what type of business they're in. And I think that flexibility is probably a main reason that women are pursuing entrepreneurship because a lot of jobs don't give that flexibility. Um, you know, it's, you know, it is, it's interesting to see how COVID is going to change that because our working conditions have changed so much and sure, some sure, yeah. are allowing people to kind of set their own hours as long as they're getting the work done. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts things. But yeah, I think entrepreneurship, I think that 
yes, they can be the leader automatically, but also they get that flexibility that they probably need as caregivers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that, that it talks about in the chapter again is you're not seeing so many women drop out because of the quote unquote mommy track, but you do see, like you mentioned, this caregiver role where it's, so it results in difficulty in terms of, uh, you know, scheduling and getting everything done, especially like you said, with the sandwich generation. So you've got caregivers, not only for their children, but their parents and, and those issues. And unfortunately with COVID, we did see, you know, a lot of women leaving the workforce, either um, going to maybe just a part-time role versus full-time or completely leaving the workforce in general because of having to, to, you know, with their kids being out of school and having to deal with, um, you know, education via Zoom. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Again, I hadn't even thought about, I wonder, you know, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but I do wonder from a percentage standpoint, I'm sure. It would not surprise me at all if there was vastly uh, an overrepresentation of women in those that have have left the workforce or at least gone to part time status in the last year. And it's interesting. Also, I mean, so many interesting insights are coming out of COVID, right? So I also saw a number related to academics, and it said that based on how many um, papers were published and how many papers were submitted in general in academics they found that more papers were actually submitted during COVID, but fewer of those were about women. And so it seemed like okay, our yeah. female academics were able to turn out a lot more work. <laughs> right. Yeah. The weren't, so it was really interesting about to see um, that. Well, listen, I, um, I appreciate you having you on. The last thing I guess I'll ask is just from a women in business standpoint, anything going on with women in business um, right now that you want to kind of plug or mention for, for students, anything that you want to get out there? Sure. So women in business, again, I mentioned this, you know, when we first started talking, but women in business is meant to help um, women create networking opportunities to build skill sets. So we actually had a negotiation workshop um, last semester um, because, as you probably know, there's an 80 percent. Well, there's a 20 percent pay gap. Right. Women are paying 80 percent of and that that changes based on location too. So in the South, it's actually worse than that. But um, so we've done negotiation workshops. We have speakers come in from all the different business disciplines. We try to bring in somebody from, you know, finance, management, marketing, accounting, and just try to make sure that everybody's represented. Um, and we are going to have some more networking opportunities once, um, you know, things kind of get back to normal. But women in business is open to anyone. It's open to undergraduate students, graduate students, and it's actually open to women and men anybody that's supporting the interest of women in business. Perfect. Well, listen, I really appreciate having you on, Dr. Gillespie. Thank you for spending time with us and giving us some insights. And um, I, I don't be surprised if students, uh, you know, send you an email or knock on your door uh, once they, if they, got, now Dr. Gillespie does teach in the MBA program. So if you're listening to this and you're in the program, um, there's a good chance that you'll have her at some point in your, in your time. But, uh, but if not, she's a great resource. So do you mind if I add one more story? In? Sure. So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the negative things with women going into leadership, but there are so many great things as well. And it's just about women, women um, finding their voice and standing up for themselves. So I just had a speaker at Women in Business and she is actually on city council. And so she mentioned how in her first meeting, um, she was, you know, she was so excited to be there, right? Her first meeting, she just won the office. And one of her male counterparts um, called her little mama. 
said, let me explain this to you, little mama. And so she stood up for herself right then and said, you know, hey, you can call me by Miss So-and-so. You can call me by my first name, but that's not acceptable. And so after that, he never did it again. And he was very respectful towards her. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, we just need to, to stand our ground and, and use our voices. Well, like I said, appreciate having you on and I appreciate what you're doing for the College of Business, uh, especially with the Women in Business program. I think it's an important, uh, important program. And um, like you said earlier, you don't have to be in the business program to join or be a part. So um, if you know somebody out there who you think, you know, could, could really benefit, please connect them. Um, you know, don't have to be a student. So, but uh, anyway, thank you so much, Aaron. I hope you have a nice afternoon. Thanks for, thanks for being on with us. Thank you for having me. All right, take care.